And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am sitting in studio this week with uh, Stefan Austin. Good morning. Afternoon, evening, wherever you might be listening to this. And this week's uh, special guest, if you will, uh, Jonathan Silver, is also in studio joining us this morning. Good morning, Jonathan. Hi. Uh, so we have a one interview this week. We usually have two. We're going to do one because I had something I wanted to get off my chest, uh, and I've been promoting it as, a, as an epic rant, and that it will be. However, we've just upped the stakes a little bit because Stefan has promised me he's going to fight me on it. So stay tuned in the second half for, uh, for a little internal debate here on the Green Majority. <laughs> We're trying to make up for the, for the lack of Kevin's energy this week. Right. So Kevin, uh, uh, Stefan and I are carrying a little bit of the, uh, the, the angry uh, fist-waving. Uh, which, speaking of angry fist-waving, uh, I have a new T-shirt on, which has our logo on it, which is great. And Stefan's going to talk about that uh, a little bit later. I want to just quickly also mention, though, that the uh, uh, after our second half, we will also be talking about some news items. One of them is a really awesome project, um, w- uh, which is the first world's first entirely fuel-free global flight. So there's mm-hmm. a, a entirely solar-powered plane uh, currently doing its global tour step-by-step. That's a really cool project. Uh, uh, a lot of people have been tweeting about it. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, heat wave breaking, uh, temperature, uh, temperature record breaking heat waves, uh, possible celebrity boxing matchup, Pope versus the Koch brothers, uh, and then uh, probably some other stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But in a minute, uh, we'll, or rather right now, right now, we'll be talking to Jonathan about the Living Architecture Tour, who's come into uh, the studio this morning to join us and uh, possibly stick around and, and uh, maybe pick a fight with us as well later on this thing. I don't know. We'll have to see. He's the wild card, actually. Right. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see what happens, or maybe he'll play referee. I was going to say. Uh, without further ado, though, uh, Jonathan, we're talking about the Living Architecture Tour, uh, and why don't you just go ahead and, and give us sort of a, an, an overview, and then we can unpack some of these uh, some of these things that are involved. Sure. So the Living Architecture Tour is a map that you can find at uh, livingarchitecturetour.ca. And what the map is, is it's free, and you can download it on your phone, or you can print it off. And it shows you where all of the publicly accessible green roofs and green walls are in the downtown area. So publicly accessible meaning... The roofs and walls that you can go and visit without asking special permission. And you can do that during regular business hours. The reason that I created the tour is because Toronto has so many of these green roofs and walls. It's really astonishing. But most of us don't know this because they're either hidden atop of buildings or they're behind closed doors. And it's very important that we know how many green roofs and walls we have because they're a really good thing. And it's important that, that we that we understand that this is a movement that's that's happening. And if we if we see how many roofs and walls there are, we're more likely to jump on board and be supportive of that movement and help it grow more quickly. So some of the benefits that green roofs and walls provide, um, I kind of break them down into psychological benefits and then environmental benefits. So the psychological benefits are what they do for us. So green roofs and walls, they're they're calming. They help us to feel relaxed. They reduce anxiety. And these are all good things. They make us happy. But then there's a lot of environmental benefits as well. So, And, and there's a huge list, but some of them are um, managing stormwater. So when it rains, the buildings are able to capture the water instead of allowing it to flow onto the street and picking up oil and dirt and spilling into, into the lake or also, if, if you remember last year, we had that huge storm and there was flooding everywhere. And green roofs are really good for capturing some of that water and reducing um, stormwater. And then we have benefits like um, green roofs 
uh, kind of act like an insulator. So they allow buildings to use less energy to heat themselves during the winter. And also during the summer, they're able to use less energy for cooling. And uh, additionally, green roofs are great for they're, they're great places for birds to rest and for, for bees to, to pollinate. So we've talked a little bit about in general, and we're going to come back to some of these and, un- and unpack some of those individual pieces there and, and talk about them a little bit more. But first of all, just in case you know somebody is, uh, I would say, unfortunate enough to not immediately have conjured an image of some piece of architecture or infrastructure near them that resembles what you're talking about, can you just give a general overview of some examples of the types of things that you're talking about? What are we talking about when we when we mean you know green architecture? Okay, so green architecture. I'm specifically talking about living architecture. Um, so I use a green roof and a green wall really to mean the same thing as a living roof or a living wall. And what a living a living wall is, it's just that. It's a wall that's alive, and it's alive in the sense that there are plants that are growing on it. So these plants are either in pots or they're in uh, some other kind of growing medium. And then they're provided sometimes with light, uh, indoor lighting or outdoor lighting, or they're provided with um, water. Uh, a green roof is, is very similar. You have a growing medium, and it's on top of a building, and then in that medium are planted uh, small small plants or grasses or wildflowers. And one of the one of the interesting things that I've seen, just even with um, a lot more green roofs coming up here in Toronto, is that it's one of those things where I find that when I talk to people and uh, uh, that if they've seen it, that sometimes people are excited about. It, but in general, people are like, "Oh, that sounds like a neat thing to do." But then you see people actually come into this space, like we were over at uh, CSI Region Park the other day, who has a a lovely office floor with floor-to-ceiling windows that look out onto a green roof. And when people see it, it's not a, oh, yeah, that sounds nice. It's, wow. I was Actually, I was there yesterday, and I was totally blown away. I was probably looking at the roof for about 10 minutes, snapping photos. (laughs) There were birds flying, and they were playing. They were playing on the green roof, and and there were bees buzzing around. But yeah, green roofs have that effect on us. And that's sometimes it's because we don't have enough nature in the city. Um, This is a great way to get more nature in the city. But another reason that they have that effect on us is because they're very multi, they provide a very multi-sensory experience. So they engage a a multiplicity of our our senses. So our sense of touch, we can go out and touch them and we can smell them. Um, We can smell the humidity as well. And we can feel the humidity on our skin. And we can also hear them. We hear the water trickling or the, or the room is uh, sounding more, uh, there's less noise because the, the wall is dampening. Um, and, and these effects, they, they bring us out of our heads. They kind of put us down on the earth where we're there and we feel very present in our own bodies. And that, that's, uh, you know, that makes us feel good. Yeah. Well, and this and this comes back to you know, and let's get into some of this more more technical, as you said, the to, uh, sort of architecture and the the building services or the nature services stuff about storing drainwater, whatever. We'll get to we'll get into that into a minute, but really the under the underpinning concept of this, and I think anybody, and that's sort of what we were trying to get at a minute ago, anybody can go out and test this for themselves. Go yeah. visit one of these spots and tell me that you are not immediately affected by it. Yeah. Is that there is a huge scientific basis for this. Uh, in yeah. some of uh, my classes, it was called uh, nature deficit disorder was the term that was coined. But as we spend more and more time, and this is entirely demonstrable by all sorts of different types of sciences, mm-hmm. uh, is that we have an actual need for this type of space. That's why everybody likes Absolutely. going to the cottage here in Canada. And and I think because it's a little bit too late to reverse the last hundred years of infrastructure investment in these giant expansive cities that our only solution left at this point 
to deal with these, some of these problems is to just try and reinvent the cities that we have and try and incorporate some of these things. And it actually works. It does. It, it really does work. And, and the reason that I created this, this tour, and you could find the map at livingarchitecturetour.ca, the reason I created it is because I want people to, to go there and see the roofs and walls for themselves. You can see pictures of it and you can uh, listen to my description of it right now, but it doesn't compare to actually being there and seeing it. Um, and yeah. So let's let's talk about some of the the types of stops. So of course, uh, you know, in, in this case, your your tours in Toronto, and and we'll talk a little bit more about how maybe people can can try and investigate some of this in their own cities a little bit later. But tell us about a few of the stops and what types of places are the are these experiences being found in right now? Sure. So there's many different kinds of green roofs and green walls. They kind of fall on a spectrum. Um, the very the most simple kind of green wall is basically vines growing on a building. And I put in a few of those stops on the tour. They're, in a sense, they're, some of them are unintentional green walls, but they're also the, the precursor to the intentional green wall. So if you look at some of the buildings uh, on University of Toronto campus, you'll see vines growing on them. Um, if you look at some of the other buildings, like the Isabella Bader Theatre, you'll see vines that were intentionally planted in the ground and they were given space to grow to form on the outside of the building. You can go inside some of the stops. If you look at 215 Spadina, there's a wonderful green wall inside of that building. Um, um, and, and then there's also not green walls, but there's just living arch- architecture in the sense that there's a, an indoor garden, which you could find at the Terrence Donnelly Center. And that's just a, that one will just blow you away if you visit it. And in terms of green roofs, um, most green roofs you can only see through a window, which is unfortunate, but there's so many different insurance reasons why people sometimes can't go out onto the roof. Um, but some of the roofs you can, you can go out onto. So the Rotman building is absolutely fantastic for that. And so is the Evergreen Brickworks, which in my, in my opinion has the best view of the CN Tower because you're down in the Don Valley and you can look up at the CN Tower and you're just surrounded by this beautiful green roof. It's, it's unbelievable. You have to see it. Yeah, I think the the brickworks is probably one of the best holistic examples of that type of design because it's not yeah. sort of like a single feature, but it's really the entire place was designed with that. So I think a, a, it's a it's a something that we should be looking forward to, and and not just as a you know the the thing you take your kids to on the weekend, but this the, we can have this everywhere. Absolutely, I'm excited. <laughs> so I think that's a the, uh, switching over to some of the the roofs we can't go on to. I think is a great segue into some of the more technical aspects of this stuff because a lot of the time the reason you aren't allowed to go onto the roofs isn't because they're they're worried about their grass looking pretty. It's because it, going on this grass would actually interrupt its uh, designed function. It's per, it's performing a function for the building, and uh, and that in those cases generally is why uh, that is taking precedence. Mm-hmm. So we do, we were talking about things like it's storing uh, stormwater, uh, cooling yep. uh, cooling effect on the building. Uh, what are some of the uh, can we unpack that a little bit? What are some of the benefits to, for buildings from a structural point of view? Sure. So I mean, as I was saying, managing stormwater. Um, when you know our city is kind of like it's it's covered in impermeable surfaces everywhere it's almost as if our city is covered in plastic and you can imagine rain coming down and all of that water being gathered and then where does it where's it going to go and so green roofs are great for remove you know peeling back that plastic and capturing the water right there on site and when the water is captured as the sun beats down on the building instead of heating up the building what it does is it heats up the water and evaporates the water and so the building stays stays cooler um, 
Sorry, what was your what was the other bit to your question? Yeah, no, and just I mean, some of the types of spaces we're having this in too are on like you know big factories and stuff like that right. because they have all this uh, this empty space and yeah, empty um, space. Uh, what I'm what I'm not sure of, and I, and I don't mean to put you on the spot because I didn't uh, I didn't warn you about this, but I'm just wondering in the moment, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you happen to know, is that I know that there is some there was some uh, ordinance around mandating green roofs in Toronto, and I actually haven't heard about that in quite some time, and I'm just thinking of it just now. I don't know. Okay, uh, Stefan, or if, if either of you have any idea about where we're at with that. It, well, it remains in effect. It's one of the few uh, environmental legislations that, uh, that David Miller's able to pass that Rob Ford did not uh, end up gutting. Uh, so it still does exist. It's, so we're on, we're on the slow road to having more officially. Yes. All right. Yeah, no, it just, it just occurred to me now, and I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that in yeah, some time. We do have the Green Roof Bylaw, and we're, Toronto's a very special city for that. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why we have so many green roofs. Um, and basically what the bylaw says is that if you're building a new building or you're doing renovations and you're building as a certain um, surface area, then you have to install a certain surface area of green roof on top of the building. But the details you can find on, on the City of Toronto's website. So it, right now, a lot of the people who seem to be buying in from some of the uh, stops that, that we made, I, I went around with Jonathan with my video camera and we took a couple of shots of some of these stops the other day. And uh, a lot of them are in, uh, you know, it was like the university tends to be a big thing because they have the mm-hmm. money and they're frequently, you know, redoing things. So they, they sort of have a lot of an opportunity. They're a high opportunity case for, for doing some of this stuff. You know, so maybe if people are wondering about, you know, well, how can I advocate for this because I can't, you know, go into my local TD Bank Tower and demand that they redo their skyscraper, uh, is that maybe universities are a really good place to be uh, to talk about trying to get some of this stuff. Because I think one of the key factors here is that this is really one of those cases where as soon as people get an opportunity to see it, they want it. Right. So just just one point of clarification here. So the the stops on the tour are publicly accessible stops. Um, there are a lot of green roofs and walls on on non-publicly accessible buildings. And the reason there's so many on U of T campus is because it kind of straddles this public-private realm. Um, so there, there are other green roofs and walls all over the city on non-public buildings. Um, but how could you get a green roof or wall on your building? There's all sorts of modular installations that you could buy. They're quite... Um, they're relatively inexpensive. And there's modular installations for green roofs and modular installations for green walls. So that's how you can get more of them in in your city or even in your own home. All right. And uh, just to wrap up this section, of course, Jonathan's going to stick around and and talk about us a little bit more. Um, Do you want to go ahead and give us a a shout out again for the website, let people know where they can go, maybe just go over again what uh, types of things they'll see on the tour? And then my final question for you would be, is do you have any advice for anyone who's maybe in a different city about trying to start something like this, either advocate for more of it or or even just planning their own tour? Do you have any sort of tips of and somebody outside of Toronto wanting to say, I I wish I had that tour. I wish I could make my own tour. Sure. So uh, go to the Living Architecture Tour. .ca. You can download the map there. It's for free. And it's going to show you where all of the publicly accessible green roofs and walls are in the city. Um, if you want to have more green roofs and walls in your, in your own community and you don't live inside of Toronto, what I would suggest is, is making a small directory of the, of the roofs and walls that are, that are, that are in your community and uh, maybe planning your own tour, a small little walkabout or maybe a bike ride. Um, that's a good start, I think. Start a conversation. Again, number one way to advocate for this sort of thing seems to be to just let people see it and then they want it. Yeah. All right. I think that's a great place to stop. We're going to go to our first music break, which is going to be introduced by our as yet so far silent Jason. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, This is a song by uh, Frazzy Ford and her song is called September Fields.
Coming back in here, that was uh, 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 I'm forgetting now. Why should I, why did I even fake like I remember <laughs> what you said the name of that song was? Uh, that's that's why Jason gets was, paid the big bucks. It was September Fields. Thank you. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, I know it seems like I don't do anything here, but I, all, all the things that I am doing is, uh, are invisible. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for hiding uh, uh, my inattention, fellas. So we we have a next section. We're gonna have a little mini. Uh, uh, a discussion followed by what, what has been billed so far as a mini debate here on the Green Majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, Stefan has some announcements. Take it away, Stefan. Yes. Uh, first and foremost, I would be absolutely remiss to fail to mention uh, slash invite everyone to come uh, come walk with us at the March for Jobs, Justice, and Climate this Sunday. Uh, this Sunday, 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 Monster, Sunday, Monster, Sunday, Monster, Monster, Sunday. Madness? Exactly, yes. Right. Um, well, of course, if you're listening on one of our radio syndicates, you perhaps may have missed us. But again, if you're listening to one of our radio syndicates, you're probably not in the Toronto area anyways uh so you'll just have heard this and found out how it went afterwards right and uh, well and you would have heard about your local one last week when we mentioned it exactly so you yeah. have no excuse yes exactly <laughs> um but this sunday uh, uh one o'clock at uh, queen's park is the beginning of the march for jobs justice and climate uh and it's going to be it's it, it, from all from all from all indications it's going to be a excellent excellent time uh, so please do come join us and hang out there. Uh, other other announcements, because this is announcement time, mm. uh, is that Darren ma- sort of teased the fact that he was wearing uh, a shirt, which you think should be obvious. Uh, <laughs> but the specific type of shirt that he's wearing is what's important, uh, is that we do actually have now got our Green Majority branded T-shirts in, uh, which are beautiful in all of the ways. Right. And I, I just want to say a quick word about that, too, which was the entire... 
entire point of these shirts, I mean, yes, you can you can you can uh, get one and, and great, and it's you can advertise for the show, and that's you know that's great, and we we hope that that you think highly of us enough that you would be proud to do that. But it's also it was specifically designed to be a conversation starter because the words on the back say "Earth is fine, are we?" and it has a picture of our climate cartoons, which is a, a stick man with a, a a globe head and a baseball bat, and we really think that's the convert the emphasis on the conversation we need to be going to be having these days, which is that it's not about it, we're well it's not that it's not about it's we're well past talking about saving birds and trees and save the whales. It's really, really us that we have to be concerned about now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where that conversation has to be at. So a great reason to get a shirt yeah. is to start that conversation. So that maybe Sigmund Gas be like, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. That's a great conversation starter and no better time to be having that conversation. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so that uh, you can get that right now. The only way to get that right now actually is uh, by answering our survey. That's right. And to, until next week, at which point I'll have figured out a way to actually uh, sell them. But for now, the only way to get one is to potentially uh, it, uh, win one. You can be entered in a draw to win one by filling out a short survey. Yes. Uh, and Jonathan, you actually also, as part of our announcement roundtable, you also have an announcement. Yeah. But I just wanted to add one thing about the Green Living Architecture Tour. Um, is that there's a contest, a photo contest. So go go to the website, livingarchitecturetour.ca, uh, go on the tour, snap some photos, and send them in, and you could win a chance to have brunch for two or dinner for two at the Tea Bar, which is a great restaurant in Toronto. All right. Any other? Is, is there, do any of our visible guests have any announcements? Any in, any invisible announcements? No, no I, think I, think, I think we're good. So moving on now to uh, politics. Ooh, yay. Politics, politics, politics. So we've we've recently had the release of at least part of it's sometimes hard to tell um, part of the liberal environment platform, which joins a sort of questionably officially announced environment platform by uh, the NDP. I, I only say that because they sort of didn't announce it as such, but they appear to have said what a lot of their positions are on those issues. Um, I also uh, went through. The conservative website, I was a bit remiss to give them the clicks, but I figured, you know, more good would come of me mocking them than the one extra visitor click they got on their click counter. Um, And they already have my IP address from harassing them on Facebook. So um, (laughs) so there wasn't that. And then, of course, you know, the Green Party, who's uh, we'll we'll come to in a minute. And and we're going to we're going to talk about the Green Party last. And that's for me to make a point, not uh, out of any disrespect. We do not play favorites here on the Green Majority. We're Mm -hmm. interested in people's environmental thoughts. And that is it. Um, no interest in in harping for any particular party for anything other than the positions that they put forward. So that being said, we're going to now harp on the liberals for some positions they put forward. Um, so the liberals recently released their uh, environment platform as such, and there was a speech, and of course there was a lot of hurrah uh, about you know um, uh, the the conservatives don't understand and we have to take these actions and basically generally speaking and I think we can we can agree on this point saying a lot of things that sound good would you would you agree with that yeah well there's yeah there're three big things all are um are are all things that are desperately required Right. So the, 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 of the f- four of the main, m- more major points, and then I'm going to come back to a couple of quotes, uh, was working with the provinces to map out uh, Canada's collective carbon footprint uh, within 90 days, which makes it sound even more sure. Mm. Um, so we're talking about price on carbon, uh, which joins the NDP and the Green Party in having a price on carbon. Oh, they don't say how, which is interesting. They, uh, yeah, they don't. They don't exactly say how. They sort right. of allude to how, but right. I, in politics, that yeah, <laughs> that means they're not saying anything about that. Uh, they, so they've said a lot of things that I think are really important. They've also declared that they will uh, join all of the. And I thought it was funny that they acknowledged this. Not not funny in a, even in a sarcastic way, but in a completely legitimate way, uh, that they will join 
the premiers who generally gone <laughs> to the climate talks, um, which I think is important. But again, it's kind of like, you know, what small miracles we now have to applaud. Um, oh, you're actually doing your job like a legitimate government that we have to be really thrilled about that. How exciting to have a government promise to do things a government's supposed it's to do. It's the John Tory effect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we're coming to that. Don't, don't give away. <laughs> don't give away my ace in the hole just yet. Um, and then there's uh, some some legitimate things. So increasing protected marine and coastal areas. Um, uh, it was something I thought to me, you know, my inner cynic thought was a bit fluffy, but maybe it's not, which is, you know, uh, commemorating the Canada's 150th, 150th anniversary by making national parks free. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's not illegitimate. It's just also not super substantive. Is that fair? Yeah, it's, it's not something I would include in a environmental platform that also includes a price on carbon. Yeah, I, I kind of I kind of felt like that was like you, they actually reduced my caring about that pitch by including it in their environment thing. That has nothing to do with anything mm-hmm. as far as the environment is concerned. Yeah. But uh, it's a, it's still a great thing, though. I'm pretty happy is. about it. But yes. I agree. You, of course, would be. <laughs> you um, and loving your nature. Yeah. Nature boy. Uh, <laughs> so, the, so of course, this joins uh, the NDP, who's also um, been talking about using a cap-and-trades uh, system to put a price on carbon slightly more clear about, or at least specific about what they want to do about that. Uh, and something which I want to draw to a, uh, which will bring me to my uh, my first point of criticism of this, um, which is that the NDP specifically says cutting subsidies to fossil fuel industry and reinvesting this money in environmentally sustainable alternatives. I don't see how anyone who is actually informed about what the climate science is telling us can say anything less. And and this is really where my suspicion, and I want to remind our listeners again, mm-hmm. I'm not for or against any political party. I have voted for all parties except the Conservative Party <laughs> uh, all all once and never twice in a row. Mm-hmm. I, I do my very best to, to make my decisions on a case-by-case basis based on what that politician is offering me at the time. In this case, I do not think you can have a serious straight-faced position about climate change and build any more pipelines because building pipelines is for expanding production. It's not something we require to continue production. It's not like filling up your car full of gas. It's about buying a new car. And I really don't understand how anybody with a straight face. And so this is what, for me, undermines the entire pitch, even though uh, on paper, and to hear Trudeau say it, it sounds lovely. If you don't understand the underlying issues, which is that what he's t- he's doing is he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's saying, we'll go to the talks. He's not promising what he'll do at the talks. He's promising to have a conversation about carbon, but he's not telling us what he wants to do about carbon. And he's saying that we'll, we're going to, uh, uh, you know, really look at closing he, here. He's very specific. I'll, I'll see if I can quickly pull up the, the quote because that wasn't where I was going to go just now. Um, but was saying about, you know, we really have to have a conversation about um, – the pipeline going through the northern gateway uh, no, about uh, the great, going through the Great Bear Rainforest, right. uh, because this is no place for a pipeline. The reason he's saying that is because he's for pipelines. <laughs> he's just against that one pipeline because he knows it's a losing fight. So I, I really just don't know how like if you have other reasons you want to vote for the liberals, fine. But if you're voting for the environment, as said so far, Trudeau is not your man. Because he's he's pro pipelines and he's pro having these conversations. It's the bar- it's the basically what is the minimum that I can say to get away with this without disturbing the status quo any more than necessary. And we need drastic action. And I think that I do not think that is a partisan statement. I think that is a just a logical and informed assessment of the facts, Stefan. Uh, I was going to say, well, if you're going to go off against that, you have to acknowledge that the NDP has come out in support of Energy East. 
Yeah. Uh, where it's not like we're really sitting with a bunch of great options here. Yeah. Uh, it's like, <laughs> it's like you know, the Conservatives, pro all pipelines. And the uh, the Liberals, pro most pipelines, not Northern Gateway. The NDP, yeah. pro, again, pro some pipelines, maybe not tr- maybe, maybe not Northern Gateway and then also um, KXL. Uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's like you're, where you're putting your vote is uh, – is you're basically betting on exactly how far they're willing to go on any of these issues. Yeah. And I think no matter what, I think the biggest thing is, and I think you, you and talk to any activist on the issue is, is that been, their largest concern is that what's going to happen is you're going to get a government in that isn't a Harper government. And what that's going to do is it's going to let the people who are currently fighting every one of these pipelines sit back on their heels and not keep fighting. Right. And so I think no matter who gets in, uh, the actual activist push against uh, the next against next uh, next pipeline, whether it's Energy East, whether it's Northern Gateway, whether it's KXL, uh, has to continue, uh, or because that that's the only way we're going to win. It doesn't matter who what government the next government is to not do anything to to presume that the government's going to be oh well, great we elected a lefty government we're good yeah. is not going to be enough yeah and I and I think that's really the devastating point and and thank you for uh, uh, providing me uh, uh, an opportunity to remember that I needed to clarify that point my argument against the liberals was not to be arguing for the NDP right. my argument was that. There, there's an awful lot of talk. <laughs> None of them are proposing the best solution. And really, the opportunity with this far ahead of the election, the way we really need to be doing is not arguing about who to vote for. But if you have a party you want to vote for, you go and you tell them, this is not good enough. I need you to do better. I need you to do better. This is not – if at this point, because you know runaway climate change is runaway climate change, we lose the opportunity to do anything about this once that ball gets pushed over that hill and starts running down. And so you go to your party. You want to vote for the NDP. You go and you contact your local representative. You contact uh, uh, Mulcair directly on Twitter or whatever. Tell them this is not good enough. No pipelines. We understand that you can't can't destabilize the entire Canadian economy by by shutting down the tar sands immediately tomorrow. I'm I'm sorry, people on our side, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. that think that's possible. It isn't. It isn't going to happen. What you can do is prevent expansion and put all of your money into the alternatives, which based on at least the rhetoric, and again, you believe who you want to believe, but based on rhetoric alone, the closest right now is uh, Mulcair, who's at least saying shut down all oil subsidies. Liberals right now are saying balance them. Why would you balance them? We need to get off this stuff. And I think they're, they're devastatingly right on that. So not as an endorsement for Mulcair or the NDP specifically, but that one position is absolutely undeniable. We need to get rid of fossil fuel subsidies immediately and halt expansion. There's just no two ways about it. Well, I feel like if 10 years ago you said that the only government that would be agreeing with the World Bank would be the, would be the <laughs> new Democratic Party, uh, would, no one would believe you. Which uh, which will will wrap up the uh, one final point I want to make about this entire uh, topic, and then we will move on to our potential mini debate here, um, which was uh, the Green Party, which I left for last. The reason I didn't mention them until last was because they're the only party that has not suddenly changed their position. <laughs> what has been happening in Canadian politics is that everybody except the Lib- or everybody except the Conservatives have slowly been adopting the Green Party's platform. And let's all be perfectly honest about this. This is not an argument, again, for the Green Party or against anybody else or anything else. It's just a statement of fact. The Green Party has had essentially the same platform for years, and every time we get a little bit closer to this election, the other two quote-unquote left parties are adopting more and more of the Green Party's platform. And the race right now seems to be who, how far close to the Green Party's platform do we think we can get without alienating our less informed voters? Like how basically how close can we get to that without giving up our sort of the, the things that we think we can count on? And I just think that's hilarious, and I think it's worth pointing out. 
Oh, I, I, not to not to uh, immediately disagree with you, uh, but Dion did run on a carbon tax. He got crucified on a carbon tax, but he ran on a carbon tax, which is a stronger position. Like right now, if we right now, if if the liberals are running on a carbon tax, what's interesting now is I think it's now more palpable. Right. I think now I think the Green Party basically has been like, hey, you know, public realize this is a good idea. The other two parties have jumped in and out depending on whether or not they think the public has agreed with them or not. Uh, and then and then now we're back to a point where it seems now the public actually might accept uh, that this is actually a reasonable course of action. Whereas you know. 15 years not 15 years ago 10 years ago whenever it was Dion ran uh, it was just it, w- it was not going to you know as much as a good idea as it remains to be uh, the public absolutely rejected it which is an excellent segue Despite that you thought you were you were contradicting me <laughs> I'm just giving you a segue you actually segued me to my final thing which you, which you've you've prompted you may disagree with me with which is that functionally the reason that happened is that effectively most politicians at this point are effectively and by effectively i mean if you just simply judge what they do in their actions and most of what they do for their day for their job is to assess public opinion on things and then take positions based on that public opinion what we effectively have then is a bunch of people who go and talk to their party members and talk to the public and they look at polls and they go and speak to people and then they come up with a position that they think best represents not the will of the people in general, but the will of the people that they need to get themselves elected, which means that effectively in many ways, and I realize this is a comical oversimplification, I'm just trying to make a point, that really all we have as far as MPs for, um, for many of them is essentially uh, a, vote, a, a vote indicative polling machine. We have software that can do that. If all we're trying to do is poll people for what the public opinion is, as opposed to actually analyze policy and see what makes the most sense and then fight for it, and say, I have a good plan. We've gone the experts. This I've done. This is due diligence. This is the best plan, and I can fight for it. I believe in it so hard that I can prove it, that I know it's good because I can demonstrate it, and I'm going to fight for this policy. If all we do is we have people that we elect that do really actually quite poor jobs of just assessing public opinion and then trying to pretend like they come up with the idea first, Kevin Farmer can write software that can do that mm-hmm. for us in 20 minutes. What is the point? Uh, I, 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 my, so my counter rebuttal is, is four words. And they, funnily, you mentioned Kevin uh, Ken Farmer because he is—he's the—he—he he maybe used these words more often than anyone else. Uh, <laughs> the Harper government TM. <laughs> you ever want to find a place is like you want to argue that here's a government that had 36% of the vote, decided to spend the last five years putting in massively unpopular po- policies, uh, and then are still you know still have a decent chance of winning the next election. These are. This is the. This is not a. These are. These are. The Harper government did not come out as a polling machine. They came out as a. We're going to do what we feel like doing to create the ideological system in Canada that we think will perpetuate our consistent government. But uh, they they did it based to an in audience that they knew was just big enough to get them elected. So they they did poll their audience. They knew that they had enough people that they could do to promote fear and ignorance that they could count on to get them elected. So they actually did exactly what I was suggesting. They were a vote assessing machine. They said, to get us elected, we need to take these horrible positions. Who cares if they're based in fact? We can get enough support to get elected with these positions. So that, that see, to me, think, seems to be just emphasizing my point. But they actually, but see, they, this is actually what they agree with. This is actually what they're, like, this is, it's not like the Harper government actually thinks that, they don't go out and say, I'm going to be horrible to get elected. <laughs> that's not the way they think. Uh, at least I hope that's not the way they no, think. No, but it's that there's, there's a market opportunity. There's a hole in the market for people 
people selling, you know, fear and uh, and ignorance. And so they capitalize on it. And the fact that that's been their brand for the last, you know, however many governments and however many years doesn't change the fact that that's simply their market segment. It's it, it would be it would be akin to saying that, you know, McDonald's was going to suddenly start selling cars and not food. No, they're in the food business. So they know exactly what type of cheap food is a way to maximize their profits. And that's exactly what the Harper government's done. We sell a certain product to a certain type of individual and we've perfected that product based on their feedback. But it has nothing to do with creating the highest product based on those ideological standards of what is the apex of food. It's how, how can I assess what you, the customer, wants and give you what you're asking for so that you keep giving me your money. I, I would argue that if you want an example of what a government that does do that, that would be the Ontario Liberals. That's what the – like the Ontario Liberals are an example of basically we're just going to take the slightly left opinion of, the, of Ontario and just, and, and, and just basically govern in perpetuity. Yeah. Uh, well, or, I, think that, I think they're exactly the same. They just have a different customer. Uh, they're doing the same thing for a different group of people. That's essentially my point. So everybody's carved out a segment of the population they want to appeal to. And then they just keep putting forward, put, putting forward things that appeal to that audience rather than actually trying to come up with what is the actual best thing to do in this situation. Now, I realize I'm not putting all the blame on them. I, I realize we've created a system by which they almost can't not do that. In fact, it, uh, someone might, you might even be able to say that they can't do anything but that. I'm just pointing out how sick it is. So, so what's your alternative? Uh, well, the first thing we need to do is have a proportional voting system, which is why that's another issue for me, because then politicians actually will have the leeway to be able to actually go and fight for stuff and have a chance of being elected anyway, because they might, you know, get some people from outside of their little voting blocks that have been predetermined uh, to be like, yeah, you know what? Well, you know, I prefer I want this government, but the next in line closest based on the issues I care about is this guy. So I'm going to, you know, put maybe conserve, not me, hypothetical person, mm -hmm. maybe puts conservative first and Green Party second. Right. If we had that, then maybe actually, you know, people would go, oh, well, hey, you know, I don't want the Green Party running the government, but they're the second most closest to reality as far as the things that I care about. That would completely change the political landscape and the entire the entire basis upon which we're having this conversation. The this, conversation as a country, not right. in this room. Right. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, that's, uh, let's, I'm, I'm curious to see what John has to say. Wait, let, the moderator jumping in. Yes. I mean, absolutely. I, I agree. With, <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with. We have the technology to get, to get people voting in not predetermined blocks by voting on their, you know, everyone votes individually. And I don't know why. It's just our system is just outdated. It, it really is. Yeah. And uh, it makes me very, very sad that politicians are just putting putting forth policy um, for the sake of getting into office. But so here's the here's the I think the problem that you, you haven't addressed, if you want to really address this problem, the problem isn't actually that each any individual person uh, like like the problem is that we have party whips and therefore ever you have to vote for your party every single time. If so, really, what's actually happening is that there's only four politicians in in, in Canada. You know, there's the leader of every of, of every party, and maybe maybe the part of the party members have the actual have a voice to those leaders. But in reality, everyone has to vote with the leader, anyways. And so, I think the bigger difference is that if you want to actually have interesting conversation, allow people to actually vote in the way that they actually are, in, are they they themselves are interested in. Hmm. Uh, you know, then you get the interesting problem they have in the United States, which is that you have a you know you have you have specific senators and democrats uh, you know you have you have you have democratic senators who are more right more right wing than 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 uh, than, a, than a senator in a in a more democratic state which is a republican um but at least then you have actually you know then you have interesting dialogue then you have actual conversation mm. uh and i think the the larger problem isn't actually that we're not is that these we're all trying to pander the sort of larger base it's that each individual member mp isn't given the actual authority to have an opinion that isn't the party line yeah, because they're if they if they do have an opinion on the running, they actually get kicked out of the party. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I I, I think the at the end of the day, I mean that we you, we could, and, and I I don't even think we're we're disagreeing on any on any of the problems here. But I like the. Uh, at the risk of sounding like I was putting the blame on MPs, I'm actually not. I'm, I'm blaming the system, and, and, and I realize that sounds like a very easy thing to do. I can just shake my fist at the sky and walk away. But at this upcoming federal election, we have an opportunity to change our voting system. And I think that me personally, and, and I will happily defend it, if you want to disagree with me, you, you go ahead. But for me, my two issues in order of importance are, one, climate, two, taking a serious look at how our democracy works, because I don't know what the right answer is, but there's an awful lot of really smart people out there working on it who have put forward tons and tons of really interesting solutions. We need to agree that we at least need to have a conversation about how we elect and run our democratic country and stop slipping into Harper's, you know, Harper stand uh, of just, you know, fear wins. Um, there's a way around this. We need to have a conversation about how it can happen. That. I believe, unless anyone has an urgent final word that they want to disagree with me about anything. No? Okay. We'll go to our break. Uh, that was the intense part of our show. Uh, that was even borderline intense. But I mean, for us, that was intense. I try and keep it pretty light on the Green Majority. Uh, you have been listening to the Green Majority. We will be back in about one minute um, to uh, talk about just some, some lighter fun news uh, in just a minute. But first, Jason, please tell us what we're going to listen to. We are going to listen to uh, a song by the Downchild Blues Band and their version of Flip Flop and Fly. And we're coming back, come back at you, the Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM, or one of our wonderful and very appreciated, do I, do I ever miss saying very appreciated? 
Usually I don't. I don't think so, no. Very, can I underline that again? Very appreciated community sta- uh, syndicate stations who help spread the word of, uh, at least w- in my opinion of myself, uh, is reasonable and informed environmental news. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at the very least, an opportunity for me to listen to myself talk. Uh, so moving past that... Whatever you feel, you, maybe you can email us if you were with your opinion, if you think uh, uh, the show is terrible or not, because uh, I just like knowing people are out there. We've actually been, Stefan, we've actually been getting a lot of email contact recently, no. a lot of Facebook uh, interaction. I've had a lot of listeners um, emailing me and making comments on the show. I've actually gotten into a couple of interesting discussions. Uh, a couple of people pointed out um, that I, that I, gratuitously in a couple places misspoke, which is entirely possible. And and I want to actually encourage people to do that um, because I don't know if you realize this, but uh, Stefan and I don't get paid for this, No, which means we prepare for this in our free time, which sometimes, I mean, quite frankly, and with all honesty, I'm not as prepared as I could be. And sometimes I misspeak. Sometimes I misspeak because I, I've misread an article or I skimmed it too quickly. Uh, and sometimes I just get stuff wrong. So if you if you think that uh, anybody on the show, particularly me though, because I'm the person that reads the email, uh, gets something wrong either in a position we've stated or if you, or if you have a counter argument you'd like to offer, uh, as long as it is respectful, or even if it's just an error, if it's just a factual error, uh, uh, and as long as you're being respectful, because I have had a couple of people who have emailed just to troll me and I've kindly uh, ignored them. Uh, we're very open to it. And I've actually had some really interesting discussions with listeners after the show uh, about some of the things. And, and until I get so much email that I can't answer it, you are welcome to do that. You can do that at greenmajority.ca. There's a big contact us button. Uh, don't forget to spend two minutes, fill out the, the survey uh, about the show is another way you can help improve the show aside from directly criticizing me. Uh, and you <laughs> Indirectly can, criticizing indir- me. Directly or indirectly criticizing me. Both are acceptable. Um, and you can win a shirt for it. Nice. So that's not so bad. Uh, so moving into our final section now, of course, uh, we have uh, the big thing for me. I, I want to mention just really um, quickly this thing about the solar impulse, uh, and then we will get to uh, what I really wanted to talk about, which is this new Pope or Coke's Who Do You Stand With campaign, which is just all sorts of good fun, um, is the solar impulse, which is a uh, completely fuel-free plane, which is currently, as we speak uh, I believe in the air. I shouldn't say that it may actually be parked at this very moment, but it's during its journey, its global journey, making several stops. Um, you can see all sorts of specs about the plane itself. Uh, it is a, f- uh, a, a regular size plane, so there's a pa- it is a passenger plane um, flying around the world. It has all sorts of really interesting uh, data. You can watch its position on the GPS uh, in real time. Uh, there's video interviews with the people who designed the plane, uh, and it's just a great project. And this is actually part of the. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually unclear because their website is not terribly clear about this point, uh, but it is part in some way of the future is clean um, campaign as well, which is just futureisclean.org. And I'll, and I'll link to the uh, to all the stories, including the solar impulse story uh, on the website as well. Uh, but this is just uh, basically a, a global portal for people um, putting uh, messages, urging world leaders to uh, take COP21 absolutely seriously this is our very very last chance and this is this is a way to sort of positively add to a positive voice of encouragement uh to make sure that this stuff happens uh it also has a bunch of resources both uh, for your own education and as ways to reach out uh to various people that might be able to impact in it it's backed by a whole bunch of uh people including uh rich 
seemingly nice for rich people, people like Richard Branson uh, and all sorts of other uh, interesting folks uh, from all around the world. It's a very, uh, very international effort uh, on that website. So that's all we'll say for it for now, only because, uh, as I just finished mentioning, I didn't have a ton of time to look into it today. Uh, but if you're into technology at all or solar stuff at all, definitely check out Solar Impulse uh, and uh, Future is Clean in general uh, if you're interested in climate stuff. I will have links on the show post. So that's that's all we really were going to say about that. Uh, what I really wanted to talk about, and we'll go straight to Stefan on this one, and then we'll, maybe Jonathan has a comment, was a specific uh, campaign here by, uh, I'll have to get back to you in a second about who's uh, actually running it, the name of the people running it. Um, but it's a campaign called Who Do You Stand With? Uh, and it's specifically targeting Republican candidates. But I just think this is just a devastating campaign uh, in general because essentially and, – and, you know, and, and of course we're talking about the U.S. here and, and I, I try to stick to Canadian news as much as possible. But the, the fact of the matter is, folks, is that the policy that happens in the U.S. affects us up here to a huge amount. And so if you're interested in Canadian politics, you need to be at least a minimum amount of aware of American politics to understand some of the context. And I think this is just amazing because the traditional standpoint of the right wing has been to gobble up all of the sort of religion and social issues informed by my religion voters uh, as basically a solid block. And then they peel as way as many of the uh, sort of undecided middle voters as possible. And that's essentially uh, that counted on block is essentially what you know dictates their chances is is how many people on top of that block they can get. This has shaken up that entire thing because now it is pitting the moneyed versus the religious. Now, of course, many of those people are evangelical uh, Baptists and all sorts of things that aren't Catholics. But this has really got Republican lawmakers, I was going to say something I won't actually say. This has got them very concerned, let's say. Mm. It is hilarious. So we'll, we'll, I, I'll, I'll add some details in a minute, but first for comment, let's go to Stephen. Uh, yeah, so the thing you're referencing uh, is, this, is the battle between uh, the Pope and, and the Koch brothers. Uh, which, but before I get to that, I have to save you an email. Mm. Uh, which is that you, or just a couple seconds ago, said that Richard Branson is a nice man. Um, or at least he was a nice rich guy. <laughs> I said seemingly for seemingly, a rich guy. Seemingly for a rich guy, exactly. Uh, but uh, I happened, if you if anyone has read uh, Naomi Klein's recent book, she spends an entire chapter tearing him a new one. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, well, I, as you now find out, I have not read that yes, book. Yes, exactly. Uh, which, uh, so, so to save you an email uh, from someone saying, how dare you praise Richard Branson, uh, a lot of the stuff he's done has been basically greenwashing, and he's... His companies has increased his greenhouse gases while still saying nice things. It's he's still doing something. Like he's still at least investing in some things like this, which is great. But his actions have spoken louder than his words. Can I can I at least get away with saying relative to the Koch brothers? Yes. For yes. a rich guy, he seems okay. There we go. Done. Right. I'll give you. The um, best way to correct me is actually just be a co-host on the show. Exactly. There you go. Just come on the show. It's most efficient anyway. It's so, 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 so quick. Um, <laughs> that's why Kevin was so great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, but to go back to the Coke, uh, Coke Brothers versus the Pope, um, it's, it's fun. It's, it's interesting just the for the, the, how much, A, how much this actually does matter to Canada. Uh, in that that every environment almost all environmental policy that comes through Canada uh, has to, is in some way involved in the United States. Uh, in fact, when we were talking about ratifying the Kyoto Agreement, uh, almost every single agreement had one provision, which was this will happen in line with the United States. Uh, and so to even presume that we will get any actual massive action on climate change without action from the United States is very, very low. Uh, for, for example, check out how Quebec and Ontario have moved on, on, on climate change. They joined California's, tech, uh, <laughs> California's carbon market. Uh, this is, we're so connected that anything that happens to states, especially environmentally, will impact us. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a super interesting campaign. Um, and 
especially because what's funny about this is now it seems like the Koch brother act- are actually fueling and attacks on the Pope. So you're seeing Republican uh, Republican options for president uh, tell the Pope to sort of stop meddling in our affairs, which is the absolute most hypocritical thing <laughs> anyone can ever say. The hypocritometer is is like it's on eleven. Yes, if you if you are a if you are a if you are a pro a pro life Republican <laughs> man, you cannot tell the Pope to not care about climate change because it's too because he has to s- stick to the stuff that he knows about. It's unreal the level of hypocrisy that this that they managed to hit on this level. Like you know, you normally you know it, to be fair. The, the Republican primaries are often a battle on who can be most hypocritical. Uh, and, and, and so that has been the case for at least since the Tea Party's been around. Uh, but this is, I think, maybe, maybe a new level. Uh, it's, it's, I didn't think it'd go any higher, but it's sort of like it's sort of like in Dragon Ball Z where they, at, whenever they have to get so higher, they add a new weird thing that you get. If and, Rob Shirky's listening from our horizon, he just freaked out. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> so uh, we'll go to Jonathan. Jonathan, uh, just from your, I, I realize you weren't you know, super prepared for this, uh, but if we can ask you to comment, what is your feeling on this? And because I'm trying to decide how I feel about this. My feeling is that there, this potentially is so internally inconsistent, so unbelievably hypocritical that even your average sort of like Tea Party uninformed Republican voter that, that is appealed to when you appeal to the basest uh, of talking points, even they might start scratching their heads. Do you, do you think this is, this is essentially like they're, they're, this is the Republican Party exploding, uh, imploding this year uh, because of this hypocrisy? Or, or, are, or are the voters that they're counting on so sort of bl- willingly blind that even they won't balk at this? Yeah, I think, I think it's just really funny how even, even how the, the, um, the two parties are, are pitted against one another, one another. You have the, the Pope on the one side and the brothers on the other side. But it's, it doesn't really work it doesn't really work that way. And it's funny that the Republicans are taking this stance, kind of stepping back and saying, we're totally not with the Pope anymore. When, when really the way things work is, um, you know, somebody, the Pope says, the Pope says something and uh, people jump on board with what the Pope says or what the Pope doesn't. But ultimately that pushes the, the political agenda, kind of like the public consciousness that pushes it a little bit in one direction. And so I guess... I mean, it's kind of tough to, to, to explain what I'm trying to say here. But personally, I'm jumping on board with the Pope. I'm not a religious person. Um, and I'm not jumping on board with the Pope because I am now kind of religious. But it's like, no, I'm looking on a longer term. So on the long term, I'm on the Pope's side. That's going to push the public consciousness in a certain direction. And, uh, you know, next year or two years from now, I'm going to be on someone else's side. And I'm going to help push the public consciousness in whatever direction I want. Um, I wish the I wish you know the brothers could do the same thing, but obviously they they're very um, you know. Oh, they're pushing. They're just pushing the other direction. <laughs> but do you think uh, we, we've got only about two minutes here? Uh, um, but Stefan, maybe you'll maybe you'll comment on that same point. Do you do you think this is just so horrendously just insane that that even your average sort of Tea Party voter might go, wait a minute. Uh, I don't know if you. I don't think if you know if you lose the average Tea Party voter, uh, but you will. You should lose the average Catholic. Mm. Like for all intents and purposes, uh, if uh, the Pope's the Pope is understood as the Word of God. This is the word. This is, so at any point in time, if the, this is literally like if God came down to you, and told you, "Hey, don't like protect the Earth," and then someone else said, "Hey, God, mind your own business." <laughs> 
that's actually what, like if that's actually what is happening uh, for Catholics right now. Um, so for anyone to actually to, to any Catholic to not vote again, like to to, to vote for a, a climate change denier at this point, to me makes I I, I got nothing. Yeah, uh, which I, th- I think is is uh, sort of funny because like uh, you know I I would actually start my own campaign up here is my sort of last word on this and just before anybody freaks out I'm almost entirely almost entirely kidding. Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> here come the emails. Here come the emails. No, it would just be you know I I would add a further challenge to to American uh, Catholics or to any Catholics anywhere in the world that you know if if you're if you can't stand on the coke uh, on the coke on you if you can't stand with the Pope. On this point, th- this is the uh, this is this is the decree. This was being explained to me because I actually didn't understand the, the sort of gravity of, of what this piece was that he put out. Um, if you, this is this is the instruction to what is official church doctrine. So if you aren't gonna if you're gonna disagree with the uh, Pope about this and you're gonna say, well, you know, I'm I'm gonna selectively disagree about a couple of these things. Would you please just do us all a favor and come out of the closet as an atheist? <laughs> um, because there is no more a fundamental disrespect of your religion than to say that I that I'm gonna selectively agree with the Pope. Let the emails come forth. That's all the time we have for this week on the program. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, uh, Jonathan Silver for coming in. Please check out the Living Architecture Tour. The links for that will be on the website. You can win a prize as well if you go ahead and do that. You can also win a prize for filling out our survey. But that is it. Thank you for listening to The Green Majority, folks. And everybody have a good green week. We'll see you all next uh, next week. Green Majority.